worship. All right, well, I thought maybe we'd start today. Um, first of all, by letting you guys know, if you weren't able to make it to the night of worship um, this last Wednesday for the high schoolers, uh, it was a really great time of gathering together. I think there were about 200 students there um, from students all over, from schools all over Wheaton, Naperville, West Chicago, uh, Lombard, Glen Ellen. Um, so really cool that we've got that many students coming together and we got to just worship and pray and just hear some uh, testimonies of how outreaches have gone in schools around uh, Illinois, also in California. And so just a great time and we'll be having another one of those coming in November. So I hope that you can make it to that one as well. Um, and then also one in March, just great opportunities for us to partner with uh, churches in the area and even really get to see who are other Christians that might be at your school and people you might recognize that you didn't know were Christians so that we can um, just be encouraged by one another in our settings. And also, uh, who did not start week school this past week? Anybody not start school yet? Okay, so we've got a couple still coming up, right? Yeah. Thank you for all the old men who raised their hands. Thank you. It's very, very helpful. <laughs> yeah, Joseph, you're included in that. So here's the question for you, okay? I'm wondering if any of us have some good kind of first day of school stories. Any good first day or first couple of days of school stories? Spencer! So I made like the biggest freshman mistake. Uh, I'm walking, I'm walking. As a junior. With these two guys, and I was like, "Oh yeah, guys, in my class." And I like turn in, and it's just a bunch of freshmen sitting there, like with their eyes. Wide. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, wrong place." <laughs> and then uh, I just saw Alec running through the halls. You saw Alec running through the halls. <laughs> All right, Elise. Um, well, uh, you guys get my locker open, and uh -huh. I had to like have like the teachers keep on opening it because it was bloody open. Yep. Like all my classes. Yep. Classic, classic. Yeah. Okay. Did you find that out voluntarily, or were you forced into the locker? Okay, good. Voluntarily. <laughs> Any other first uh, first week of school? Yes. Yes. We're assuming he got on the wrong bus, right, or something like that. Yeah. Somehow he ended up at. Yeah. Poor guy. How many of you guys would say on a scale of 1 to 10 that your first few days of school were like in the 5 to 10 meaning really like neutral to very positive, 5 to 10? Okay. Who would be in the 1 to 5 zone, neutral on down, not so positive? Okay. 
Oh no, okay. Alec was sick. Yeah. Well Dan Sorcy, thank you. Taking it to the next level. <laughs> um Today we're going to be finishing up our time in Joseph. I, I thought I could do this cool kind of like hipster sit down and preach thing, but I feel like I'm way too low. I can't really see you guys. <laughs> I, yeah, there's, there's a lot that I need to fit in that category. I don't think hipsters have soul patches, Todd. They've got lumberjack beards, right? Which I could totally grow, but I just don't want to. So. <laughs> I, I heard the first three times. <laughs> okay. So we are in our last um, last installment on the life of Joseph, okay? Which I am calling part three. Very creative, I know. Um, and so we want to look at one of the main themes in the Joseph story. So who can remember, what, we, what did we do in part one of the Joseph story when we kind of talked about part one? Yeah, we just kind of looked at the story, right? And the two things I hope to highlight on the whiteboard over there was how God was with Joseph in every place that he went, and Joseph was faithful to God, remember? He, he stayed faithful to God wherever he went. And then last week, anybody remember what we talked about in part two? Yeah? Kind of like predestination. Yeah, definitely had some predestination themes in it. We talked about God's providence, Right? which was a word that means that God's just in control, that God determines everything that happens. Okay, And we also see that throughout the Joseph story, that Joseph has all these crazy things happen to him from running into a guy who tells him where his brothers were when he couldn't find him, right? all the way down to being able to interpret dreams and being put in charge of all of Egypt. So God's determining all of it. And so this week, we kind of get to the kicker, which is this idea of why does God let bad things happen to Joseph? If God's really in control of all of it, why all the bad stuff? So let's, let's start with this question. What happened to Joseph? What was all that Joseph experienced? What was the evil that came into Joseph's life? Just give me one thing. One bad thing that happened to Joseph. Yeah? He went to prison. Okay, you sent to prison, right? Yes? Got sold by his brothers. Got sold by his brothers, right? What else? What bad stuff happened to Joseph? i vary it up here, see if we can get more participation. What's one thing that happened? I'm looking at you, Colin. Bad stuff that happened to Joseph. Yeah? Got sold. Thrown into a pit, right? That didn't feel good, probably. Got thrown into a pit. What else? Yeah? Potiphar's wife liked him. Yes, which ended up being a bad thing in the, in the long run, right? Um, Potiphar's wife had a crush on him. <laughs> what else? What other bad stuff happened? You guys aren't going to let Elise Hobbs show you up on every single one of these, right? There, there's more bad stuff, right? <laughs> Yeah? Um, yeah, he, like, was forgotten for two years. Yeah. So not only is he in prison, he interprets the dream. He tells the guy, please remember me when you get out. Tell Pharaoh about me. 
and the guy forgets him for two years, right? That's not so good. We learn at the beginning of the story that Joseph's brothers, there were some key words that it tells us about how Joseph's brothers felt about him. Does anybody remember how he felt about him? Katie? They were jealous of him. Yeah, that's definitely one of them. Yeah. And they hated him. All right, those are exact words, that they hated him and they were jealous of him, right? We see also that there's lying in this story. There's plots to murder Joseph. You know, it's not just that Joseph was, they didn't really like him. They all sat down and said, let's kill him. And then they threw him in a pit and said, let's think about how we're going to kill him. And then Reuben said, how about we don't kill him? And then Judah said, how about we sell him as a slave? Which brings us to another thing. He was a slave. Okay, so he stripped of all of his freedom, stripped of everything that he was in control of. We also see in the story greed, right? They're jealous of his coat. They want what he has. Betrayal. He's been betrayed, not just by anyone, by his own brothers, by his own family. A complete disregard for life by his brothers, a disregard for family. We also see from Potiphar's wife, false accusation against him, right? He's framed. He's accused of something that he actually was doing the right thing, and he got thrown in jail for the thing he didn't even do. Now this goes on. Now I want you to notice that all of these are a certain type of evil that he experiences. Let's think about this. What are different types of evil that someone can suffer? Or maybe you could say different types of suffering. What are different you know, causes of evil or causes of suffering in someone's life? Yeah, Maddie. Okay, yeah, so jealousy from someone, that's exactly what he's experiencing. Um, when you think of suffering, when you think especially of this question of why does God let suffering happen, what types of things do we think of when we think of suffering in someone's life? Yeah? Okay, you might think of physical pain, okay? You might think of death, especially of loved ones, people that are close to you, right? So we have emotional pain, heartache. Sadness. Uh-huh. Okay, so we have natural disasters, all right? Tornado <laughs> knocks your house down, right? Flood comes, wipes out everything that you have, or every one that you have, right? Okay, so there's different causes of suffering, different causes of pain. I think Joseph's are unique in that all of his evil that happens to him and the suffering that's caused by it is very personal. Okay, so you could even divide like causes of evil into personal and impersonal. So impersonal might be tornado comes and knocks your house down, right? Now you can get angry at God for that if you believe in God. Or you can just say, I'm just angry that the forces of nature worked in that way and I got my house knocked down, right? It's kind of an impersonal thing to happen. Um, cancer, you get cancer. All right? You're not necessarily mad at the doctors for telling you you have cancer. Um, you might be mad at God again, but in big picture, cancer is just something that happens to people. It's just suffering that happens. But that's not really what's happening to Jacob. Jacob's not sick. He's not having a natural disaster come and wipe out everything he has. No, he's suffering very personal suffering, right? When Joseph thinks back to everything that's gone wrong in his life, 
What comes to mind is not an event so much as a group of people. He pictures his brother's faces over and over and over, I'm assuming, as he thinks back to all the suffering that he's going through, right? Because his brothers are really the ones who you could blame for all of it. None of this would happen. He wouldn't be forgotten in prison. He wouldn't be a slave. He wouldn't have a sore rear end from being thrown into a pit if it wasn't for his brothers. His brothers are the ones who kind of are the ones causing all of this. Now, I want us to kind of sink into Joseph's suffering for just a few minutes, okay? Think about what it's like to have your own family reject you and hate you. Imagine what it's like to go on living the next 20 years of life with the knowledge that every bad thing that's happened to you in the last 20 years has been the result of the fact that your own brothers hated you. And they came up with an evil plan to get rid of you. They turned their backs on you. They betrayed you. Can you imagine the emotions and the thoughts that Joseph must have wrestled with over this long period of 20 years? He would have wrestled with rejection, betrayal, heartache, deep, lasting heartache. Think about loneliness. You know, like when you go to a different country nowadays, you still have Skype, you still have FaceTime, you still have phones, you have email. Joseph's day, he gets brought to Egypt never to see or hear from his family again. Think about the loneliness that you would experience. Think about the fact that when he went to Egypt, they would have spoken a different language, and he probably didn't understand a word they were saying for a number of years until he picked up the language as a servant so that he could actually serve well. Think about life without a family. Think about the fact that Joseph's mother had died before any of this had happened. His father, who's supposed to be there to give him advice, to care for him, to teach him, isn't there. His brothers, who should be there to stand up for him, to protect him, especially when he's being falsely accused, they're nowhere in the picture. In fact, they're the ones who caused the whole problem. Think about the helplessness that he would experience sitting in prison, serving day after day as a slave, with no one to fight for him, no one to defend him, even though he knows he's innocent. Think about hopelessness. Think about the fact that he was probably treated as if he was worthless for most of his life. He wasn't worth anything. He's just a Hebrew slave. That's why when he's accused by Potiphar, even Potiphar's wife, even if Potiphar believed Joseph, there was nothing he could do because Potiphar's wife trumps a Hebrew slave. She says something happened, there's nothing that a Hebrew slave could do to defend himself. And I want you to imagine how those emotions must have grown over time. Think about those first few days when he woke up day after day after day to realize that the ropes were still on his hands and that he was still tied up by the Midianite traders. That what he had hoped would be just a bad dream was really real life. Can you imagine how he had to pinch himself those first few days and realize, no, this is, this is for real. This is really happening. I went from being my father's favorite just a few days ago to being a slave, knowing if 
I may never see him again. Think about what he felt like when he was sold to Potiphar and that he saw his future not with his beloved father, but as a slave in the house of an Egyptian. Think about what it would be like for him as he served Potiphar's every desire day after day after day, especially when he was doing it trying to avoid Potiphar's wife knowing that she was out to get him. Think about what it was like as he counted the days in prison, especially the days when he thought that he had a way out. He, he thought that maybe this uh, chief cupbearer would go and tell Pharaoh about him. How long those days must have been as he thought about all that he was going through. And think about the fact that even after he was made lord over all of Egypt, even after he was restored to a position of power, even after he was given a wife and had children, and think about how even those events would have been bittersweet. How things that should be celebrated, like weddings and new births, couldn't be because his family wasn't there. His father would never meet his children. His brothers would never know what he'd become, at least to his knowledge, right? We even see this kind of in the way that he names his children. His, both names recall the suffering that he's been going through. So it's not like Joseph has forgotten the suffering. So my guess is that if given the option, Joseph would have traded his circumstances for an impersonal suffering. He would have happily accepted cancer or a tornado if it meant that he could get rid of the loneliness and the heartache of the rejection that he had experienced in his life. Now, it's also my guess that some of you know a little something about what it's like to be treated wrongly by others. Okay? So I want you to think for a minute about how your life relates to Joseph's and how you've been treated wrongly. Perhaps you know that heartache that comes from rejection, especially when it's rejection from your close friends or people you thought were your close friends or maybe even your family. Perhaps you know the loneliness that follows betrayal as you're forced to do things alone that you once did with other people. Perhaps you know what it's like to be treated as if you're worthless or you're unwanted and you know the hopelessness and the helplessness that follows. And perhaps you know what it's like to go through life with the question of whether those evil things that people said to you were really true or whether those evil actions carried out towards you were really what you deserved. And maybe you've been asking yourself whether God let them happen because you really are as worthless and as unlovable as they made you feel. Perhaps God's punishing you for something. Perhaps God doesn't really love you. Well, Joseph's story goes all the way to the end of Genesis. So I want us to turn briefly to Genesis chapter 50. So it starts way back in chapter 37. It goes all the way to 50. And we're going to be in verse 20, or 15 actually, in just a minute here. So to get to chapter 50, we've skipped a few things. Joseph has told his brothers, it's me, it's Joseph. He's sent carts to go get Jacob, his father. God has met with Jacob and told Jacob, yes, you really should go down to the land of Egypt. 
Jacob and Joseph have been reunited with each other. Joseph has provided the Israelites with the best farming land in all of Egypt. And now Jacob has come to the end of his life, having seen his lost son, and died. And if you start in verse 15, here's what happens. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, which, by the way, this is a lie, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Obviously, Joseph still has a lot of power at this point. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I want us to look at three lessons, really two lessons that we learned from Joseph, and then a third bonus lesson, okay? And the first lesson is this. Joseph realizes that our God, the God that he served and the God that you and I serve, is a God who can bring good out of evil. Okay, but that doesn't mean that God did the evil. We talked about how God is in control of everything, and yet we as humans are responsible for the evil that we commit. So God did not do the evil to Joseph. God is not responsible for the evil that happened to Joseph, nor did God even want evil things to happen to Joseph. No, Joseph's brothers are 100% responsible for the evil that they did. What this tells us is how wise and powerful God is. God is wise enough and powerful enough to take actions that are completely against him, that are against his will, that are against his commands, that are against the way that he created us to live our lives, and he's able to take those evil and wicked things and turn them into good for those who love him. It's kind of like, I've heard the illustration of weaving. Maybe you guys have braided a bracelet before or you've braided with more than just three threads. When you weave, you've got a whole bunch of threads. And if you think about the darkest times in your life of suffering and pain as being black and dark purple and deep crimson threads, and the happiest times of your life as being white and yellow and brightly colored threads, God is able to take all of those threads of wickedness and evil and sadness and pain and weave them together with the other events of your life into what, when you look back on it, will be a beautiful tapestry of a life, that it all comes together because God is able to weave all the wickedness that happens to you into good. And so I want you to think uh, as you reflect on the pain that has been done to you, the evil that's been done to you, that God doesn't get pleasure out of the fact that you go through pain. 
but that he can actually use that pain to bring about good, both for you and for those around you. Because Romans 8.28 tells us that for those who love God, he is working all things for your good. So God's able to work all things for your good. So that's point number one that we see from Joseph. Point number two is this. Because God is at work to bring about uh, good out of evil, I can forgive those who harm me. Because God is at work to bring good out of evil, I can forgive those who harm me. We see that for Joseph in verse 21. Joseph tells his brothers who have done so much wrong to him, do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforts them and speaks kindly to them. Joseph forgave his brothers. Now you'll notice that his brothers aren't even really asking for forgiveness in a genuine way. They're saying, our dad said you should forgive us, which wasn't really true. Um, they're just hoping that nothing bad happens to them. But Joseph extends forgiveness anyways. Why? How does Joseph decide to do that? I think Joseph forgave his brothers not because they deserved it in the sense of like they've done something to earn it, but because Joseph trusted God. He trusted that God was in control. He trusted that because God was in control, God must have been the one who allowed his brothers to carry out these evil actions. Do you believe that God could have stopped his brothers? Do you believe that God could have had Joseph go out and look for his brothers to send the message to him and said, can't find them and go back home and nothing would have happened? Yeah, God could have stopped it. But God, he trusted that God had a bigger plan and God had allowed this to happen for a good reason. And because he knew that God had this good plan, he decided he could forgive his brothers. It's like what he said earlier in that passage when he says, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Now, some of us think we are in the place of God. We might not say that, but we act that way. When we hold people in hatred and unforgiveness, and we say, I could never forgive you for what you've done to me, we're doing exactly the opposite of what Joseph is doing. Joseph realizes that it's not him who gets to judge who's righteous and who's not. At the end of the day, he has to trust in God. And we have to learn that same lesson. We have to be able to say at the end of the day, it's not up to me who I get to forgive and who I don't forgive. God may be working something much bigger in my life right now, even though it's hard, even though it's painful, even though it's caused me real suffering at the hands of someone that I love, it's not up to me to decide whether or not I get to forgive them. I'm not in the place of God. So Joseph's story shows us that God can bring about good from evil because we can forgive those who do evil to us. But I have a bonus point from a distant relative of Joseph's. Okay, the bonus point is this. We can be certain that our suffering is never an indication that God doesn't love us. Joseph had a distant relative who was also betrayed and deserted by his brothers, or at least men who should have been closer than brothers. Like Joseph, he also was betrayed for money. Like Joseph, he was also thrown into prison. But unlike Joseph, his life did not come down to a nice, neat conclusion. It didn't end with him becoming rich and famous and reunited with loved ones. No, his life ended in agony. Being nailed to a cross with a crown of thorns digging into his skull. Deserted by all but one of his disciples. 
and add to this the fact that he was bearing the punishment for all the sins of the world. Jesus, God in the flesh, endured all this suffering and all this evil because he loves us, because he cares about us. He endured the most evil event in human history, the murdering of God. And he did so to bring about the most good, our salvation, our forgiveness for sin. In other words, Jesus suffered so that we would never have to doubt God's love for us in our own suffering. We would never have to wonder if our suffering is because God doesn't love us. Because Jesus took on a far greater suffering to make it undeniably clear that he does love us because it was in his suffering that he loved us. The greatest act of love took place in suffering. So when we suffer, when we struggle, we should never come away with it, from it with the question, does God really love me? No, our suffering is never an indication that God doesn't love us. Well, today we're going to end a little differently than we have before. And hopefully we'll make this more of a uh, pattern. And that is that we want to take time not just to hear God's word, but to actually reflect on it. Now, this is really important. Um, this is satisfying actually two things that I want to accomplish in this group. The first thing is that I want to create space for our older students to be a light and to be an influence in the life of our younger students. And so, not today, but in days to come, um, I'll hopefully be setting up some somewhat permanent small group settings that are your Sunday small groups. And you'll be led by a high school student. You'll have some middle school and high school students in the group with you. And it's an opportunity for you to learn from high school students. And older high school students, it's an opportunity for you to love and to lead those who are younger than you. And the second thing that we want to accomplish in this time is we want to make sure that it, Sunday mornings aren't in one ear and out the other, which is normal. That's human nature, okay? And so one of the things that we can do to help with that is to insert some time at the end of each of our lessons for us to actually think and pray about what we learn. So you'll notice that we didn't do prayer requests this morning. That's because my hope is that at the end of this time, you will pray with your group and you'll share requests there as you um, seek prayer. So I have some questions. If I pushed the right button, it would have gone to them. There they are. Okay. So today, let's just do this. Let's go ahead and get into groups of, let's say, no more than five people in a group, because if you have more than that, it's really hard to get through the questions. Make sure you have at least one high school student or leader in your group, okay? And go through these questions, and in the next 15 minutes, we'll be done. All right, groups of...